Just take one second to breathe, check your body, see what emotion you think you're encoding with your physicality and whether or not that's what you want to be. And if not, what can you do to change it? Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. You've joined us for the Triple H, the Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. I'm your host, Kim Skorupski, and I'm really excited. Uh, today, we have Dr. Bo Landry-Wegener. Hi, Bo. How are you? Hey, Kim. How's it going? I am doing good. Great. Well, I'm so glad to talk with you and meet you and see you. Uh, let's start off by telling people what you do here at Hopkins. Sure. So I am um, a newly minted assistant professor within the Division of Hospital Medicine. Um, so I just finished residency last year and am kind of learning the ropes right now of what it means to be an attending, what it means to practice independently, and um, in doing all of that within the guise of general internal medicine for uh, inpatients. All right, folks. So I am going to do something a little different with Bo because I want him to tell you a little bit about his background story and then keep you curious as to what Bo's habits, hacks, and healthy tips or for an academic medicine person are. So Bo, tell people a little bit about your background. Okay. So, um, so I am, I'm originally from New Orleans and I actually started my adult life as a musical theater actor. And so I was approached in high school about the idea of studying theater in college and pursuing a career in musical theater, which sounded amazing. If you ask any 18 year old, if they want to go sing and dance for a college degree, they will say yes. Um, so that's what I did. And I moved to New York after graduation and I had the the great fortune kind of right away of getting to go to work, working for some of the people that I've always admired. But in doing that, I realized that the idea of what it meant to be an actor on the day-to-day -day life in commercial theater was very different than the experiences that I had thus far doing theater as a hobby or studying theater as a, a, an acting student in college. And I realized that I didn't want to be an actor for the rest of my life, that I loved theater. And so I, I wanted to find something that I could do with my career that I didn't have to be an actor. Um, and so after a lot of soul searching, I ended up on medicine um, and ended up going to medical school and through residency have been kind of rediscovering the different ways that theater is still a part of my everyday life. Hmm. I love this story, everybody. And I, I wish maybe you could have been a fly in the wall earlier because when Bo was telling me his backstory, I got super excited because I'm a huge theater buff. I've taken acting classes I'm going to the theater, Everyman Theater in Baltimore, by the way, tonight, because I'm a season ticket holder. We're watching Flying West. So I'm all about the theater. And we've had people come and talk and teach us about improvisation to help us with our position encounters and building relationships. And so when Bo started sharing the story, I thought, well, first of all, sure, don't all physicians start off in the theater? That's just like a commonplace thing. <laughs> not. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be really juicy. First of all, how you made that switch um, and then bringing home this message. I love how you have woven certain uh, ways of being and thinking and doing into your practice. So let's just get into the, the meat of what you wanted to share with everybody today. So I am excited to talk today about communication skills. I 
have become fascinated by the amazing interactions that I get to have on clinical services with my patients, but also all of the different interactions we have as physicians on multidisciplinary rounds, whenever we're talking with, you know, bed management about admissions, whenever we're talking with patients' families, um, our learners. And I've been fascinated to see that all of the skills that I learned as an actor have really found their way to kind of permeate my day-to-day interactions and serve as this this skill set that I rely on that allows me to hopefully provide empathetic, open, receptive uh, interactions for my patients and all the other interactions I have on the day-to-day basis. That's right. That sounds really good. Uh, We know that I, I, you know, I think you're right. We talk about something that's so basic. I, I feel sometimes that I get so overwhelmed, and many of us probably do, with, with so much content and input and data and things thou shalt know, do, know, be. And at the crux of everything, isn't it true that everything comes down to communication? Here's a great example of my being um, so obnoxiously arrogant that I was in the car with a friend B, we'll say friend B. And I was complaining. I'm like, this friend A, I'm driven to distraction because I was telling friend A, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and da 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 da. I'm going off. And friend B said, Well, wait a minute. Um, you told her one, two, three. What what happened to three? And I'm like, You're doing the same thing she did. <laughs> Hello, I'm, I'm already at 32. And it was kind of like a thong on my head. Okay, Kim, here's the common denominator. If friend A was annoying me with her, what I thought was incessant detail-focused questions, and now friend B, they don't even know each other, is having giving me the same kind of pushback, and they're incredibly bright people. Help, what's who's common in there? Me. And so I thought, darn it, doesn't it come down to everything is communication and my intention of communicating may be very different from the impact of communicating. And when I think is, isn't it obvious of what I said, thought, felt, meant? And then the other person goes, no, it's not obvious. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, kind of jumping off of that, something that someone said once to me, and it really stuck with me, is this idea that It's not enough, unfortunately, for us to, for example, and with our patients to be empathetic. Like that is one thing is to be empathetic, but our patients also have to know that we're empathetic. So how can you, you know, we feel the emotion we feel for our patients, we put ourselves in their shoes, but if we don't have a way to convey that to our patients, then it's going to be lost in the shuffle. And it, it, you know, does it have that same impact on the relationship? Probably not. Are you still going to definitely take actions with that patient's perception in mind, of course, but how much more and how richer could that relationship be and the patient experience be if they walk away from it, knowing that we were empathetic too? Knowing. I like that knowing. And that, so that comes down to us as communicators being able to project. Now I'm thinking of theater. How do we project and make sure that the audience gets it, gets the emotion, feels what's happening in there. So tell me, tell me, tell me, because I probably need this. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, so that's, that is, um, that 
tends to be for a lot of people, you know, one of the kind of the, the hangups with this idea of doctor as actor is people say, well, I don't want to be disingenuous. Like, I don't want someone to think that I'm just pretending to care for them or I'm pretending to listen. And I think that that is a little bit of an oversimplification because it's not the idea that you're just pretending to and that there's not a genuine emotion behind it. Like that's the whole, that is the whole, that's what makes dynamic, wonderful theater is that the person on stage is really living that experience. And although it's a hundred percent fictional and it's not their real life, they are able to, because of their training, have that real emotion experience, emotional experience. And you as the audience are along for that journey. And that's what like, that's that like ooey gooey stuff of theater that we all love. Um, And so it's this idea of how can you, what the act or so what the actor is able to do though is they have learned through their practice and their skill what the outward perception is of the emotional experience that they're that they're living so they live this emotional experience but through the rehearsal process working with directors and their acting teachers they've learned how to project that and make it a uh, make it something that the audience can pick up on and it's not always clear exactly why, you know, you can't always pinpoint exactly what about the performance made it realistic, but they've just, they have this learned awareness of their own physicality and their own emotional reality and how that kind of radiates out to the world. And that's what I think, and that's what I would hope to do with these, you know, and, and so I'm thinking about how do we, how do we build trainings and how do we kind of create a language for physicians about communication skills that's more in line with this idea of outward perception of physicality, relationships, empathy. And so that that's where I, I would hope to take this. Wow, you're saying some things I've never heard of. Outward perception of physicality. And and I'm and I wrote down this other, this learned awareness. And I'm not sure if you're gonna to get to it, but I'm excited to hear. This learned awareness makes me think of a component of emotional intelligence and that kind of empathy where you can gauge, I'm thinking as a teacher, so you gauge the the temperature or the intensity of the room or the audience members or the participants in your classroom. You can see the body language of their, they're not getting it, or they think I'm cuckoo crazy pants or they're upset or they're distracted. You you read people. So I'm thinking in the theater, they, the theater tonight, when I go to the theater, I'm so excited. They can't read us necessarily because they can't see our faces necessarily. Mm-hmm. But how, how does that parlay into the, the physician as a hospitalist, as you're walking into a patient encounter, you certainly can read that audience. And is that what you mean by learned awareness, uh, as presence of how you're coming across or how they're coming across and then you calibrate the projection. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting too many words out there, but keep, keep going. No, no, that's exactly it. And I think it's this idea um, about being able to decode and encode emotion into our physicality and into the interaction. So, you know, there's, there's so many things that go into play in terms of a scene in a show, for example, there is the the setting, the stage, where they've put the table, where they put the chairs, what the lighting is, and all of those things create a mood. And that was planned. That was, there was a set designer, a prop designer, a lighting designer, and they all went together to create this image and this feeling that then the actors live in. And that that all of that creates 
the audience's reaction to that scene. And that exists in our everyday life in the hospital as well. You know, when we walk into a room and we have an entire conversation with our patient in the dark, that's a different conversation than if we turned all the lights on. And in some instances, one might be better than the other. You know, if do we leave the table sitting between us and the patient? And does that create more of a kind of a barrier between us? We've created a little literal physical barrier. And if we move the table, will that conversation be different? And I would say that it would. And so it's this idea of having your own awareness, but then facing each interaction like it's going to be a mini play. And is this the set that I want? Is this the lighting I want? Are the props in the right place in the room for me to have this conversation? And all of those things come together to create either a successful or a less than successful interaction with our patient. Oh. And so that's, that's you know, that's some of the things that I would, I'm, I'm interested in exploring and how do we teach this mm-hmm. and how do we create this almost vernacular that doctors can be familiar with and so that they can have this mental checklist that they do before they walk into a room just about the physical space and then kind of take it even a step further and do it about their own physicality. Mm-hmm. So the idea of recognizing for yourself like, how do you express tiredness and how does being tired for that last, you know, last family meeting of the day, how does that manifest itself into your physicality? And having the understanding that that might, that language and that physical, that physical language that you create in that moment of tiredness, you might have, that's all you mean by it, but your patient might in decode that as angry or condescending because that's how they perceive that emotion on you. And that it was not at all your intention to be condescending in that moment, but because you slouched your shoulders forward, you were leaning forward on your chair, you crossed your legs, you closed off your entire physicality, the patient decodes from your physicality condescending. Wow. 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 Oh my gosh. i I have so many mixed emotions here on one level. I'm so excited. and want to dig deeper in this. And the other level I'm thinking, no, stop, stop, stop. It's just more stuff for people to <laughs> learn and to worry about and to think about. And yet knowing that I know that once we all get into healthy habits, like hence the healthy habits and hacks from Hopkins, it may like any good habit of eating healthy and exercise and sleeping and meditating and and being kind, all those new habits we want to acquire, once we adopt them and they become part of who we are, we do feel better. We are making forward progress. So while this, on the one hand, I feel like, oh, overload, overload, overload. I also feel like I know that this will be a benefit. And before it flies out of my, my skull, oh, the, when you were talking about, you know, the, the light, the lighting and the scene setting and thinking about before a, a a physician walks into a room with a patient and 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 centers herself or himself and takes a, a you know am I hangry? Do I need a Snickers bar? <laughs> Do I need a nappy nap? I mean, how am I going to you know and scene? And then they fly the door open. How does it happen, Bo? On the other end, when you have a patient or a family member who maybe likes that table in between you and them because it's a protective barrier for them or they they want you sitting down so you're eye to eye versus looking down standing up looking down at them or they prefer to be standing behind the chair or they want it to be dark where you would like 
So how do you balance that or gauge that? We're fine. Thank you very much. Don't mess with the curtains kind of approach. How do you, you know, how do you factor that into the, the scene? Yeah. And so I, I totally, and I think that that kind of harkens back too to this idea when you were talking about improv. So staying in the moment, listening and not being 17 steps ahead of the, in the conversation and learning how to make the percept or the awareness of your scene partner, in this case, the patient, how is their physicality changing? So, you know, the, the empathy literature says that leaning forward shows that you're engaged with the patient interaction and a patient is more likely to perceive you as being empathetic if you're leaning forward. There's a lot of people though, who that might not be the case for them. Like that is too close to them. They are an introvert, like do not get in my space. And so, you know, I was talking with med students the other day and I was like, they, you know, if you lean into the patient and they lean back, you should take that as a cue that you lead back and like you're going to, you're going to recreate, you're going to be able to hopefully be living in moment to moment with them. And that, that, that's like, that creates the relationship. Yes. Those subtle reads, re- reading of that. My, I'm also a close talker. So I, I used to be very bad at that. I'm thinking, oh, they must want to stand in a different spot. So I will walk with them. And then my friend's like, no, they're trying to get away from you. <laughs> You're way too close to people. So that, that, like you said, just the awareness of reading their, their body language. Mm-hmm. I also think that you, I'm envisioning someone at the end of the day and they are just exhausted and they're just so wiped out and it's been a tough day and they're thinking they have to go and chart all these encounters and close all the cases and then go home and have a family and a life and then do some research and write some papers and uh, write some grants between midnight, 3 a.m. Just so exhausted. And I wonder where does this like authenticity come in or just honesty with a patient? How, how you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, where, how honest is the actor, like hearkening back to your theater days where you said that that actor is actually feeling it. They're in it. They're not acting as if they're angry. They are immersed in it. So I'm wondering what you think about, oh, hello, nice to meet you. You know, Mr. Landry Wegner, I, I'm your doctor today and how you doing? And let me just start off by saying, I, I hope you, you know, give me a little bit of grace and mercy. I am just, I'm so tired right now. Would you mind if I sit down? If, if, where is that appropriate that all of a sudden that might, that honesty of like, oh my gosh, I'm starving to death. Would you mind if I eat a little bit of this cookie? Someone might say, oh, you're real. And it becomes more of a, a connection there. How does that happen? Or how does that weigh into things? So I think one correlative there is, you know, in theater, we talk a lot, like you deal with a lot of rejection in theater and a lot of auditions. And there's this idea that at any moment in time, when you're playing a character, it's not that you're being someone other than yourself. You've just found what part of yourself you have in common with that character and you play up those aspects. And then what part of yourself that you, that is, it's very different than the character and you play down those aspects. And then that creates this version of yourself that's more in line with whoever you're playing on stage than with, you know, Bo that walks around on the streets of Baltimore. And so I think that in those moments, it's not that you even necessarily have to say the word I'm tired. It's just, you realize that like Bo is tired, 
but then in this person that I have to be for my patient, they can't be tired. And so what are the aspects of myself right now that I can play up for my patient? And what, what are the things I want to highlight for them so that they feel that this was a good interaction? And what are the things that I'm going to have to, you know, catalog, say I am tired. So I'm just going to walk in and sit down and like, that's going to be my truth or I'm tired. So I'm going to do a lap around the hall before I even go in the room. I'm just going to get my blood pumping again. I'm going to get my, my juices flowing and then I'll walk in and then I'll sit down. That is, I think what too comes with this again, it's just this awareness of having the, the ability to stop to say, I am slunching my shoulders for that could come across as being condescending. So I'm just going to roll my shoulders back. And it's not that you have to bridge and be like, I have so much energy. <laughs> she made one change mm-hmm. that hopefully will create a different experience for the patient. And even for yourself, then, you know, this idea that like we manifest the things by manifesting things, we can make them be more, we can make them come for us. And so, you know, if you sit energetically, will you start to feel more energetic? Who knows? awareness, stop. So those, those are two words I just wrote down. Of course, that constant level of awareness and stop, pause, all those things, both of those things fly in my, fly against my daily routine and probably many of our routines of constant motion, autopilot, not stopping, not pausing, not having a true awareness other than Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, go, 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 putting out fires, putting out fires, putting out fires. So to to many of us, that is our habit. And so that just momentary pause, I think, I think you're right, at least brings you to a sense of, yeah, what are you going to bring into this room? And that then that that parlays into into the, the encounter. And how how do, how would one Bo? So say say you are tired and you've tried a couple of things. You're grabbing a cold sip of water. You ran a lap. You ran up into the stairs. You're trying to act as if, and you're changing your mindset. And you're committing to this. And what happens when the I'm doing air quotes actor falls off the stage? What if something does kind of go wonky? How do you recover from the whoopsie? Yeah. Um, oh man, and like. You know, I've had, I got to do my first um, teaching with med students over these past six weeks. And so that was such a wonderful challenge. And I had many oopsies in that, in that regards of, you know, saying the wrong thing, having to backtrack, just realizing that I was, no one understood what I was saying. And like, I thought I was making clear and like they, based on whatever happened that it wasn't coming across what I wanted to. And so I think that again, it's this. I, in those moments, I I love the vulnerability that you learn from theater and the ability to say, that wasn't my best job. And that's okay. Like that, and that allows me to be better next time. And even with patients, you know, I think that we, I think that there, there's a lot of power in owning those moments when we need to profess our humility um, to our patients. And I think that they, they understand that they're in a very vulnerable place. And I think that they almost, you know, I've had instances in which I feel that that shared vulnerability in those moments is really powerful and can really move the relationship forward too. Yeah. That, that's, I was just going there that same way. That's what I was getting at. I found that throughout most of my career, I've always felt like I had to be in many of us in academic medicine, these type A's perfectionist top of our game, a game every day, day in, day out, 
which is exhausting and it's superhuman and it's ridiculous. And then recognizing that just what you, that word so critical, vulnerable, when we have the courage to expose our vulnerabilities and how do we do that by someone like me, I ask, trying to ask for feedback and recognizing that when I'm tired and cranky, my strengths overplayed as an ENTJ an extroverted intuitive thinking judger when I, those are strengths. Yes. But when I overplay them, they become my weaknesses. And then I come across as being harsh and condescending and abrasive. And so recognizing that, and then saying, you know, asking, inviting people, inviting people into that space of my vulnerability of like, I'm going to invite you, my inner tribe, that when I, when you feel this for me, please, you know, call a timeout, recognize, and, you know, let's call it out and not, and, and deal with it and help me do with that. But I think also that honesty, like you said, with the, I can totally imagine someone going, no, no, we get it. You know, we get it. Good. Almost an exhale as well, because if you, as a perceived leader in the situation, the boss in charge can say, I'm having a real tough day. You know, this is, I'm getting some low blood sugar right now. And uh, can I have a sip of, <laughs> sip of this, this? Will you please, you know, give me a little bit of a moment here to get, catch myself that kind of, I can imagine someone going, huh? All right. So now I feel like he's normal. I can be normal. I have something to connect with this guy or something. I envision, of course, other things of ice breaking and conversations that build, start building a, a human connection that, helps that communication as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think too, to your point about this, this desire to be a perfectionist and um, know all the answers and be this like ideal version of what we think it means to be whatever we are striving to be in our careers. And I think that something that's been really powerful for me from theater and from acting is the, the idea that, I could never, when I went into an audition room, I could never read the mind of the director to know what do they think this character needs to be. And that I would only set myself up for failure if I tried to, and then tried to be some fake version of myself because I was trying to be exactly what I thought the director wanted to be. And that that mind game would just lead me to be this kind of like mush up there without any clear point of view. And so instead it's this idea that I'm going to go into the room and I'm just going to be the best version of myself that I can be at that moment in time. And, and that, that's good enough. And that is good and, enough. <laughs> and it's got to be enough because it's like, it's, it is good enough because it has to be enough because that's all I could do. And if in that moment, if we click and I end up being the perfect version of what that director wants to be for that role, then it's meant to be. And it, if, if I'm not, then that wasn't the right show for me because I was going to spend six weeks, six months, a year, five years trying to be something I'm not. And I would just never be happy. And so in our patient interactions, like owning where we're coming from, saying this is, this is what I, this is, this is the level of my expertise this is what I can offer you. Telling a patient, I don't know and you don't know, but this is what I'm going to do in the next step to try to get that answer for you. To our learners having that vulnerability, I'm like, that has been something that has been my saving grace, I think, in residency, because I tend to be a very anxious person who overthinks everything and leaning into that idea that I did the best I could do that day when hopefully I, I could say more days than not that I did the best I could do that day and that I knew when to reach out for help when I needed help because I knew that that just wasn't me today. And like I wasn't 
ready to tackle that next hurdle, or I didn't have the knowledge to do it yet, or maybe I thought I did and I just wasn't comfortable. But taking that moment to just, again, be aware of where I was allowed me to hopefully build the support I needed to continue to learn, to keep my patients safe and to continue to grow in, in terms of being a physician. Wow. Bo, you just gave another really important piece of advice that I want to kind of scoot over to being in academic medicine. And that has to do with being with working with mentors. And I talked to a lot of faculty members over my career who do, it seems they're try to spend a lot of time, as you described, like with the director, bending themselves into pretzels to be what they think their mentor wants them to be, or what their parents wanted them to be, or their role models wanted them to be, or the promotions board wants them to be, or the department chair director wants them to be. And that, just the way you described in so many ways, is a perfect recipe for disaster in landmines. You will then, for we will forever then be chasing some unattainable goal and in the process be missing out on what is on, on the true us, on the authentic us, the parts of us that are perhaps undiscovered and unexplored, right? Yeah. I liked how earlier you said, oh, um, oh, when you're talking about if you don't feel like you're, you can be that thing, you said, find the part of yourself that aligns with that character or that patient or this challenge. And when you said that, finding the part of yourself that is to, that really stuck with me as well because again my mind goes into this crazy place. But if you don't know what you kind of back to the simple thing of you don't know what you don't know, don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So also about ourselves, you don't know about yourself what you don't know if you don't look for it. And here's a really crazy example. I had myself convinced, this is again very simplistic, that I did not have any more business envelopes. I went at great pains to walk the 10 blocks to the store, not that great pain, but I'm being exaggerating for storytelling purposes to buy a box of business envelope because I'm still working out of my basement in my home. I come home and I have my business envelope now to mail the one check old fashioned mail that I have to use for this one person who insists on a check. I go to put the box of envelopes in my desk and realize, well, I should probably put them there. When I open up the there, there sits two other boxes of envelopes. (laughs) And I looked at those other boxes of envelopes and I was very angry at them. And I thought, now, what are you doing there? Because the ones I was using were over thus and such place. And I used the last one and thought, oh, I'm out of these things. Without taking a moment or remembering or whatever it was, that there may be a surplus in my, if I were in the office, I would go back in the supply closet and find them, but I don't have a supply closet in my house. And so I found them. Then I was mad that I'd had them, but I didn't remember them because I'm super uber, uber organized. How can this happen to someone like me? All this crazy story to say, I'm sure there are some business envelopes sitting inside of my body somewhere that I don't know are there. So to your story that there are juicy chunks and undiscovered little gifts that are wrapped up stuffed in ourselves somewhere that we don't even know we're there until we, as you so beautifully reminded us, have a stop, pause, and awareness and go, oh, who knew I had that in me? So what do you think about that crazy story? I love it. No, I love it. And like, that's, that's what I mean. That's what 
So I look at my mentors as my directors in my life. You know, they're the people that are not there to make me into something that I'm not. They're there to kind of help pull out those pieces of me. And, you know, with the phrases, so what, I, what I'm hearing you say is, and they help translate for me what I'm saying, and I don't even know, but I already know. And they, they put it into this nice, beautiful package and then hand it back to you. And then you get to grow from that. And I feel like that mentor is that wonderful director. And that's what a director is trying to do in the theater is not change you into being something different. It's to, to help pull out the character that they know is within you. And I find that that is, and that's also so fun. And it's so nice to like be, you know, in your thirties or your forties or your fifties and to learn something new about yourself, I think is really cool. I, and I love the way you just described that of um, a mentor is like a director trying to bring out the best in you versus making you something you're not. And in fact, that could be a trigger, a, a red flag. If you interact with someone who's trying to make you be something that you're not right. I mean, we, we yeah. all be challenged, but there's only so much, you know, that you, that we can bring. And then, like you said earlier, maybe I'm not the, this is not a good fit. This is not yeah. the play for me, or you're not the right director. Exactly. For me. I'm not the right actor for you. So, wow. What I'm trying to do is figure out, because a lot of this stuff feels like it is, you know, it's, it's on, it's on the 10th floor and we're all kind of still in the lobby. And like, how do you really in the busy day-to-day life, how do you try to, incorporate some of these ideals that do I'm admittedly they seem lofty and they seem somewhat intangible and maybe outside of the realm of day-to-day clinical practice of this like self-awareness and maybe that's more in the therapy space rather than in the medical education space Mm -hmm. but I think that what I would hope to do and what I'm trying to do it is develop workshops or exercises that you can do that are very low stakes easy that allow you to just have these quick moments of Mm check-in that are based in acting games. And so they have some kind of foundation in an acting classroom and they've been developed and they've been honed over years and then translating them to the clinical space and then allowing you to have that moment of introspection and self-awareness that not only clues you into where you are at that moment, but then also helps you to start uncover these additional things. I'm looking forward to working, folks, as you can imagine what will happen with Dr. Landry Wegner here, because we're, he's going to be developing some faculty development seminars and workshops for us. I, this is so cool. I'm so in it. You know, I, I will support this 100%. And I'm thinking, too, you know, this is like we could start or you could start easy in, in a unit beta test this with just like old fashioned PSAs, you know, public service announcements of. Employees who work here have to wash their hands. And the rest of you don't have to wash your hands. But in the bathroom, those of you who work here, you better think and wash your hands. Or uh, water fountains don't work here. Use this little signs in front, right, posted in the entrance to the waiting room. Some codes of, you know, posture or pictures or something that reminds us, like you said, without doing a whole thing of walk through the therapy Zen room before you go into and sniffing aromas and all that stuff that's you know, some people might say is a little bit too too mush or too too hoo-ha, but little visual reminders of that's right, you know, not washing my hands, but also check, you know, do a check. How am I doing? A, a body scan, quick body scan, breathe, yeah, run, run up and down, do yeah. 10 or like the old like obstacle courses, do 10 jumping jacks, do five burpees, deep breathing, uh, yeah. those just subtle reminders. Or like before you walk into a patient room, like 
embody the negative emotion 100% in your physicality and feel what that feels like and see what you do. And then embody the positive emotion 100% in your physicality. And then you'll walk in the room and just you'll have that awareness so that when you're listening and you're talking and all of a sudden you start hunching over and closing your arms off, that you'll have been primed to be like, oh, no, this is not what I should be doing. And then you'll open back up and your physicality will change and it'll be more receptive and things like that. Or my, my dream, I don't know if this one will ever come to be, but I would love to study in multidisciplinary rounds what would happen and whether or not the group would be more productive if they did a quick like two minute, three minute acting exercise before to kind of establish the ensemble, establish the energy in the room, just acknowledge whatever it is. If it's tired, happy, excited, Friday energy versus Monday energy and just acknowledge it and then start multidisciplinary rounds and how things would be different. Well, don't they have like these like rah, rah, some back in the day before pandemics, there were corporate cultures and different country cultures where there would be gatherings of kind of a old fashioned gymnasium. What do we call it back in the day? Pep, pep rallies. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, a, a mini pep rally. Exactly. I think, I think that's just a wonderful example. Talk about team building. Yeah. And getting people to trust each other and be honest and yeah. Awareness. That's, that's, an, I'm in, I'm in sign me up, Dr. Landry Wegener. Let's do it. Okay. Well, folks, um, I hope you were excited and interested in this conversation as I was. Um, if you want to reach Dr. Bo Landry Wegener, his email address is blandry3. That's B-L-A-N-D-R-Y-3 at jh.edu. jh.edu. And you can find all this information on thefacultyfactory.org. And I'm so happy you join us in the podcast today. Tell all your friends. We're looking forward to a new season coming up here soon. And I'm going to give Dr. Landry Wegener the last word. Oh, the last word. My last word or my last, my last ask is that after you're done listening for the rest of the day, just at one moment in time, just take one second to breathe, check your body, see what emotion you think you're encoding with your physicality and whether or not that's what you want to be. And if not, what can you do to change it? Whoa. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Bo. This has been such a great time. I'm a great message. I'm so happy that you joined us today. And boy, everybody, let's listen to this one a couple, three times, right? It was so good. Until the next time, we'll see you all back at the Faculty Factory Podcast. Bye. Bye, Bo. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.